They say that experience is the best teacher, and the best way to learn from experience is to learn from others who have already found success. For this season of the Guy Who Knows a Guy podcast, Michael has lined up a great group of successful people who will share their stories of how they got started and some powerful lessons from their accomplishments. He'll also be introducing you to people who are just starting on their entrepreneurship journey to share what they've learned so far. Success is not just about money, and we'll meet some people who have been successful in very unique ways. Entrepreneurship is an exciting journey, and we're glad to be along for the ride with you. Here's your host, the guy who knows a guy, Michael Whitehouse. Hello, everyone. This is Michael Whitehouse, the guy who knows a guy, and I'm here with DJ Adam Baum, one of my very old friends who I've known for about a million years, give or take a bit. He's uh, of the Skeleton Closet and Q Point Events and has a Twitch channel at Empty VTV, not to be confused with MTV TV, but Empty VTV. So welcome, Adam Baum. Great to see you again. How are you? Hey, buddy. It has been an awfully long time. And yeah, we have known each other for nigh on 20 years now. Mm-hmm. I, b- I believe it was uh, W's <laughs> first term was when we was when we were regularly in touch. Way back when, uh, back in the Haven days. Yes. Ah, Haven. Yes. Yeah. And Haven I imagine many people listening to this do do not realize, and looking to me probably would not realize that I spent much of my time at a golf club. Probably more people think I spent my time at a golf club than a golf club. But in fact, I've spent very little time at golf clubs and quite a bit of time at golf clubs. So, And, uh, and back then it was uh, the, the comic shop and the, the con- you're, you're still doing the conventions, right? Uh, not so much anymore. More of my convention energy is now into business conventions. Uh, although well, there, there is an idea we're kicking around, uh, which is the Entrepreneur Summit. Um, and there's going to be a delay between when we record this when we release it. So what that word will mean by the time people hear this, I have no idea. But there, there's at least that idea of having um, business leaders who are also geeks putting that together into some kind of summit. So, so that's And that's a fantastic pre-plug. Yes. Yeah. So this is the teaser of something might have. Look for the word entrepreneur, not entrepreneur, but entrepreneur. So something's something's coming with that. So I want to talk to you because, uh, of course, I'm going to have a lot of people on who are who are entrepreneurs who are making you know have seven figure businesses, eight figure businesses. They're doing big things, which I believe your your business is not in the seven and eight figures. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. Let me tell you how to run a no figure business. There we go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um. You know, you know, actually, that's that's kind of the reason that, that we got onto this conversation in the first place was, um, you know, we're talking about success and different ways of defining what that means to an individual mm-hmm. and um, and being being, you know, doing doing something that gives you a reason to live, yes. I think, is is the best measure of success. Um, you know, in in my particular case, yeah, um you know, the DJ business, events business is feast or famine. Um, it's always it's always a struggle. A lot of times you're gigging to get the gas money for your next gig. <laughs> um, true fact. Sometimes mm-hmm. you're sleeping in the car because you can't afford a hotel between gigs, you know. Yeah. Um, sometimes you're sleeping in the car to run a club night for a couple of years because it's more important to run a club night than it is to be comfortable. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, if I'm going to jump in on that story, I'm going to say that um, that my idea of success is based on promises that I made to myself uh, before 
I was old enough to make reasonable promises like that to myself as in under the age of 12, even. Um, and so whenever I'm doing something, I check back in with 12 year old me or maybe 15 year old me and say, am I doing okay here? Um, am I doing that thing that I promised myself that I would hell or high water come what may? Um, and so a few of those promises that I made to myself in, in a lot of ways, they, oh boy, it's, it's almost in a way, like I decided to put off a lot of the normal things that are goals for people. Like, you know, I, I thought to myself very young, like I have things that I want to do before I start a family. I'll start thinking about a family when I turn 50 and that's like a year from now. And it seems awfully soon. Funny how the sneaks up on you. <laughs> you know, but it, it is one of those things, though, like um, real briefly, the skeleton closet, making that record is an endeavor that took me over 30 years to do, Michael, because I wasn't going to let anybody else touch it. So okay. some of the songs that I just released on that album a uh, little over, I guess, almost two years ago now um, are 30 year old songs that I wrote um, as a teenager, even. And um uh, and wouldn't give to any bands that I played with, wouldn't give to anybody else that I was working with because I wanted them to be mine. And my life journey quest was learning how to make those songs. Right. Wow. Um, yeah, well, here's an interesting thing, man. I don't actually play any musical instruments. I, I started on the drums. I played the drums when I was a teenager and quite well. I played in a very good rock band. Um, but, uh, I never learned any other instruments. And so I taught myself entirely, uh, how to create music without actually playing any instruments. I, uh, I taught the robots to do it for me. And so back then the technology didn't even exist. Um, and so, so you had a mission that you had to wait for the technology to catch up with you. Uh, yeah, well, you know, this is a funny thing, man. These things that we carry around in our pockets. Mm -hmm. I asked Santa Claus for one of these when I was like five. Yeah. <laughs> and he had no idea what I was talking about because I was like, yeah, no, I want like a TV that I can keep in my pocket and a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yes. And there it is. And I have one now. I had to wait for the technology to catch up, but I could see it even then. And here's the thing is I could see the technology and music changing even then because uh, in the early eighties and stuff, you know, it was like samplers and sequencing and all that kind of stuff. And I said that that's how I'm going to make my music. You know, in the uh, end of the eighties, I was playing in a rock band and we got a keyboard that we could sample with. And I got kind of nuts for the thing, you know? <laughs> um, oh, it starts off with things like you, you scream at the thing and then you start pitching it. it. You can make it sound like Godzilla's raiding Tokyo or something like e e e on the high end on the bottom end, you know? But then you start messing around with it and you start realizing, wow, there's a lot that I can do with this. You know, you start, you know, taking field recordings of things and turning that into a sound that becomes a note uh, mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff. And sampling vocal chunks to, you know, like dance kind of stuff. And and it changes the way that you think about music and you start thinking like a producer. And that's what I did is I dove into the production end and I taught mm -hmm. myself how to produce. Now, here's an even stranger thing. Now, uh, one of the things that I wanted to talk about in our little envelope here, and I'll let you, 
I'll let you talk eventually. I babble. That's okay. You're um, the guest. Appreciate it. Um, adversity. Adversity is like your most creative tool, right? Um, and uh, so one of the things that uh, I have had to uh, uh, surmount in my production is that I can't hear in stereo. I had a head injury when I was a kid. I lost my hearing in my right ear. And I have nothing but massive tinnitus in there. It's like a train going by all the time. And uh, and so I can't actually hear in stereo. And I had to teach myself how to produce in stereo. Um, it took a long time. Um, like, uh, I, can, I can literally, I mean, I, I literally remember when I had the click, you know, that, that day in 2011, where I was like, oh, and it made sense to me. Um, and ever since then, I've literally, like, literally since that very moment, I've been releasing uh, remixes on other people's records. It's like, I, you know, I went from like, okay, you know, I can sequence, I can, you know, I can, I can do all this stuff. And I, and I hit that level where I was like, okay, now I can finish this, if that makes sense, and give oh, yeah. it that sound. It was like that sound that I, I couldn't, I could hear it in other people's recordings, but I couldn't tell what it was, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like I have stereo memory, but I can't hear it. So, um, so that was kind of an interesting uh, thing to kind of get past. And the, the cool thing about that now is that um, because I am able to produce in stereo, even though I can't hear it now, I can explain to, uh, uh, to producers that are getting into it or, or that are, are learning how to do it in a way that doesn't require me to describe it in audio terms. Okay. Yep. Right. Um, and, uh, so adversity, and this is the other thing too, like, you know, you, you're talking about, you know, people with seven or eight million, uh, you know, seven or eight figure, you know, million dollar businesses, whatever, man, I make everything out of nothing. I'm an artist. That's what mm -hmm. we do. We imagine something that isn't in the world and we figure out how to bring it into the world. Hell or high water, man. It's one of those things you cannot fucking help. Am I allowed to say those words? Uh, not too much, but we'll let that one go. <laughs> okay. Um, you, you can't effing help it. Like, you know, we, you, you are, um, uh, how do I say, uh, uh, compelled by some force greater than oneself. However you wish to describe that. I'm not a religious person, but sometimes it feels like the hand of God is reaching down and touching you and, mm -hmm. and blessing you with an idea that nobody else has had yet. Or maybe that you're connecting to a collective, you know, like a Jungian collective conscience yeah. or, or whatever to consciousness. And, and um, I absolutely know what you mean. Cause I'll, I'll wake up and have a, have a blog article in my head or something I need to write. And, and it, it, even today, I, there's things I needed to get done. I had an hour to get them done. It was going to take me an hour and a half. I was already behind time. And I saw some like, I need to write this. Article. It'll be short. It'll be a short article. So 20 minutes of the hour I had for a 90 minute important project was writing an article. <laughs> <clears throat> and not even an article is going to do anything for me. It's like, oh, this is probably, I should probably share this. I don't know, but must write it. It must be done. The universe is speaking. It must come out of my hands. Absolutely. Okay, totally Michael, this is literally why day jobs are the creative killer. Mm -hmm. Because if you have to put it down and pick it back up again, you're effed. Yep. It blows your flow.
Totally. And um, and yeah, so uh, so here's an interesting thing. I, I had a, a, a corporate gig with Guitar Center for a few years. You know, I, uh, I, I was special operations. So they flew me all over the country to do special projects, basically fixing up the stores, doing overnight work where I'm going in and I'm completely rearranging a, a store or a department or, you know, fixing, 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 a lot of fixing things. And, um, uh, and I was miserable because I felt like I was doing everything in my life to make everybody else's music happen, but my own. Oh yeah. And the great thing was, is the discount. That's why I started working for guitar <laughs> center was to get the discount. Cause I couldn't afford the gear that I wanted. So I started putting my paychecks into the gear. So when I left guitar center, I wrote my record. I just mm -hmm. took the next eight months and was like, you know what? F everything. I took that, you know, the, my remaining vacation pay kind of thing. And I was like, yeah, that's a month's worth of living. I can live on that until Halloween, eight months later, you yeah. know, and, you know, make something <laughs> from nothing. Um, make something from nothing. And, you know, uh, it's, it's an awful life because it's a lot of times it's like, you know, how do I say this? Like, I don't answer the phone cause it might be a bill. Um, you know, everybody's always knocking on your door and sending you envelopes with red ink on them. And, you know, every once in a while you get a phone call from social security asking about those years that you were living in your car. And, mm -hmm. um, and that kind of, no, those are all real things, man. Um, and, uh, and yeah, you know, uh, it is kind of like sometimes, sometimes you're like on top of the world and on the tax roll. And sometimes you're like hiding, you know, and trying not to get pulled over one more time. Cause you'll go to jail because you can't afford to, uh, to pay the, you know, you can't afford to pay for the thing that's broken on the car that has got the red sticker on the car that they keep pulling you over for and charging you more for. That's what it's like being poor and being, being a starving artist. And, and um, you know, I have, I haven't spent nights in jail because I couldn't afford to fix um, uh, bad wiring in my car. Oh, wow. So, but, but you would just well, fix. I fixed it myself, but right. it took a long time to find it, you know, but, but, but other than financially, you would describe yourself as successful, incredibly successful, Michael, because I have, I have, I have so many stories, my man. Um, you know, like I have, you know, one of the things that, I, okay, so here's going back to going back to like eight or 10 year old Adam here. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I used to sit and read the back of albums, right. And I would read every freaking name in the thanks list, you know, opening up the J cards yeah, and the yeah. cassettes, right. And reading all the names. And, uh, and I, I, I said, gosh, I wonder what it takes to be the kind of person that like these rock and roll stars thank you for in your records. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I said, I want to be, I want to be the kind of person that gets thanked in rock stars records. That was a goal of mine, right? I set that goal. I said, I want to be a person that gets thanked in rock stars records. I've been thanked in a bunch of records. I've been on a bunch of records. I have records of my own. And now I get to thank artists that, that, you know, and people that have helped me along and made those people, the people that get thanked on records. Mm -hmm. That's great. It is great. And that's another thing too, like opening the J card and like, you know, you have your favorite records and you realized, oh, wow, you know, these five records that I like were all produced by Mutt Lang or these five records were all produced by Quincy. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and you say like, 
oh, you know, what is this producer, man? Like this producer is clearly more important than the musicians themselves. <laughs> I want to be that guy. Mm-hmm. Like the producer is more important than the talent. Talent's just talent, man. Production is. <gasps> Production is making the thing. It's making it a reality. Like, you know, you can be a good player, but can you produce, you know? Mm-hmm. Can you can you turn it into something that that people want to hear? Can you can you create a sonic landscape out of it? That's not the player, that's the producer. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um but yeah, but I digress. Um but well, I, so it's interesting in kind of your concept of success because it sounds like you know when you work for Guitar Center and you obviously have skills, you can. Um, and I'm sure there are producers who who get substantial paychecks working for oh, hell yeah. big companies in LA. Uh, and obviously, you've made the choice not to do those things because it sounds like you have the esteem that you could go get a job with with Columbia Records or someone. Um, Maybe. So, so talk a little bit about what you know what, why you why you've chosen this path and why it works for you. Oh, because I'm crazy, man. <laughs> um, like I said, I made these bad decisions for myself before I was old enough to know. But uh, no, I'll tell you. I'll tell you the real story. I'll tell you mm-hmm. the real story. Uh, my parents are artists. Okay. Right. Um, so I grew up. I grew up with art around me, and um, my parents met in art school in Chicago, and my dad. Uh, went on to RISD for graduate school, but he never completed it because he got drafted during the Vietnam War. Um, Fortunately for him, he did not, and for all of us in in the family, he did not get drafted uh, to Vietnam itself, but he got, um, but he was drafted. He was, uh, uh, and he was stationed in Germany. And my mom, uh, my mom quit school to marry him and moved to Germany with him. And I was damn nearly born there, but, um, but they made it back to Miami a month before I was born. Mm -hmm. And so I was born in Miami and I grew up in the swamp. All right. I grew up in, I grew up in an agricultural area. I grew up in a little avocado grove. Next to me was a bean field across the street was a bean field and a lime grove. Next to me was a uh, uh, a succulents nursery. I had some of the weirdest freaking neighbors. I had a neighbor that had a monkey. I had a neighbor that was uh, <laughs> a falconer. Um, uh, like, oh, dude. I mean, you know, like, you talk about Florida man. Florida man was like everywhere. You know what I mean? It's, it's great. <laughs> um, you know, I grew up swimming with alligators. And so, when you grow up in a dirt poor place like that you know it was it was in the 70s but it may as well have been the 50s and um new york was something that like you only read about in the stolen playboys from the religious porn burns and that's what we did (laughs) um swamp kids man but like um so so i would would so so, so they take the playboys and like burn them in the big religious things and then that gave the kids the opportunity to snag a few Absolutely, and so the their their efforts to destroy porn would actually put it into children's hands directly. Absolutely, that is ironic as that sounds. So, so here's the thing, though: is like you know, you ever watch these heist films like Ocean's Eleven and shit? That was us as kids. (laughs) You create a distraction. You're the little one. You sneak in and you grab it. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, you know, um, I was always the mouth man. Surprise! (laughs) Like you distract the adults. You're the mouth. 
So anyway, uh, you're saying that New York was a, a science fiction setting compared to where you lived. Yeah, man. Like Studio 54 was like the most amazing thing, right? Like, you know, we'd, I, you know, I'd read, <laughs> reading, because I'm a reader, right? So yeah, they, they, you know, we'd steal the Playboys and I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to read the, all the articles, you know, because I'm the reader. <laughs> um, well, that was a big thing for me too, is like, I'm very, very self-educated. Um, very, very self-educated. I did not, I did not, uh, I did not finish any kind of college or anything like that. I took one semester of community college. And I might say, this is going to gross out some of your listeners, but to, to pay for that semester of college, uh, a community college, mm -hmm. I scrubbed glory holes Ooh. in a porn shop. I managed, I managed a porn shop at night and I had to clean the booths. Oh, wow. That's you know, the booths. So, so anyone else who's got a, who's got a uh, college job, I'd like to hear them beat yours for awful. Right. Jobs. Yeah. Right. I just won down to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, yeah. I mean, there's cleaning up poop and then there's cleaning up that, you know? Yep. Yep. All right. Uh, so, you know, when I worked for Guitar Center, I had to scrub a lot of toilets too, though. It wasn't glamorous. I'd fly around on jets all the time and had hotel rooms or whatever, but I had to go and scrub the toilets as much as I had to go and fix the lighting system. Mm hmm. You know, it's a, like turning, you know, turning a store from like whatever decrepit condition it has gotten into making it gold standard again. And it's a lot of work, you know, you I have to imagine. know a lot of things and very autonomous work. And so this is the interesting thing, man, is like, how do you end up doing something like that? Right. Is because because I have that natural sense of autonomy, I've been my own boss for so long that. Um, that it's really hard for me to work for somebody else and not be like an equal, like a teammate. Mm, yep. Um, you know, like, uh, you know, my, my, my advantage is that I've always been, uh, able to learn from people's experiences. You know what I mean? Like, uh, in fact, I wouldn't be able to create what I do without spending a lot of time watching, listening, learning, paying attention. I'm, I'm a voracious reader, um, ever always have been ever since, um, you know, the little engine that could. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so very, very self-taught, um, very self-educated, but, um, but I can fix like a lot of the, you know, my, my latest thing is I make watches now, um, Wow. Because they're, I, well, I have a, I, I need to have a disc replaced in my neck. It's actually going to happen in a little over a week. Finally, after 11 months of nightmarish pain constantly. Um, and, uh, uh, um, and watches are way lighter than turntables. Okay. Um, and, but that's a, that's a thing too, is that you become, because you don't have resources, you have to become resourceful. Mm-hmm. So very, very early in my DJ career, I learned how to fix my own gear. Makes sense. Yeah. Because it's way cheaper than having somebody else do it or replacing things that are broken. Mm -hmm. um, and so if we want to get into that real quick, like how did I get into DJing, right? Like um, here, here's, the, here's the path. My, my first job as a teenager was uh, hawking games at uh, the New York Renaissance Fair. Cause uh, so this is after Florida when I was 12 years old, my dad took a job in New Jersey. Um, a couple years later, he dumped us there and moved back to Florida. Um, <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> so, 
um, uh, we lived in the northeast corner there, and um, uh, and so I got a, a a job through a friend who uh, a mentor friend of mine who okay so this guy was the the coolest guy and I miss him terribly. His name was Mike. And he uh, was a music teacher at the Catholic school that some of my neighborhood friends went to, um, who was gay and Wiccan. And okay. I met him completely by accident because he was a, a private piano teacher and taught one of my friends. And uh, he had a Victrola in his trunk. And he was such a great guy. And he, he was, he really, he, he caught me at the right time, man, because I was really kind of, I could have headed down a much worse path. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Um, and, uh, and he was the one that really, he grabbed me at the right time and pointed my nose in the right direction when it comes to, you know, creativity and, um, sort of, you know, let, let's just say it was a really bad time in my mm -hmm. family life. And I was, uh, you know, that was the very adverse conditions. Yeah. Um, sometimes you gotta be that so, right person who points in the right direction. Right. Yeah. No, Mike was great. And he got me, uh, he got, he got me a job. Well, he got me the opportunity to get me a job, um, at the New York Renaissance fair. And, um, and of course, you know, you don't make any money doing that, but I was 14 who cares. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so everything that I did after that had kind of a something in it. It's, it didn't matter if I was working at a grocery store or fast food or whatever the hell crap job scrubbing glory holes job that I was working at, you know, um, you carry a sense of that with you. So like I worked, I worked as a carny for a while. Like I, I, I uh, did the announcements for the Himalaya, you know what I mean? Like, you know, five tickets to ride, five tickets to fly, you know, like, Yep. Yep. The center of the midway. It's the Himalaya, you know, and I'd make mixtapes for that. And then, uh, um, uh, bounced around a bit, you know, like I said, I played in a band, I played the drums, bounced around a bit, ended up getting interested in broadcasting partly because the, the bands that I was playing in, you know, we'd go in the studio or we'd go into the, you know, uh, you know, we'd go and do a, a college radio interview or something on, you know, I got very interested in broadcasting, um, made friends with a, a DJ at a, a, a top 40 station. Um, and that was why I went to school, um, to learn some production. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, that's when I moved to Boston was after that semester. And, uh, and so I moved to Boston and I took a, a job at building 19, which anybody who lives in new England and is our age will remember building 19 because good Lord, how many, you know, how many great deals could you find at building 19? Ah, classic. Yes. Classic. Yeah. Um, but needless to say, it was just another miserable retail job. Um, and, uh, um, and I was looking for something else and, uh, uh, I got lucky and I, I answered an ad in the paper that was DJs wanted some experience preferred, you know, we'll train the right people kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Now, mind you at the time I got black hair down to my nipples with a big blonde streak in the front, 20 hole docks, you know, I'm, a, I'm a punk. And, um, and so I go to this interview and i'm like yeah you know i mean i i have some radio production background you know i have uh i have this background doing you know like i did rocky horror when i was in my uh very early 20s 
uh, ran a Rocky horror cast, <laughs> just mm-hmm. started it. They, you know, I worked at a grocery store. There was a, a movie theater down the hall and they ran Rocky horror one night and I got a bunch of my friends together and some other kids showed up and we started a cast. Nice. And we did, cool it. did it. I did it. Yeah. I did a hundred shows running that cast and then I moved to Boston. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. If you haven't uh, started well, a Rocky horror cast, have you even lived really? Sorry. That's if you haven't started a Rocky horror cast, have you even lived really? You know, right. Well, that's one of the things that you and I got along with. Like we, we had your uh, we had your players on our stage at Haven a couple yeah. of times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a good time. Um, but yeah, my 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 show was uh something like twenty something years before that show. Nineteen ninety was the Seduction production in Paramus, New Jersey. Hello, everybody in Paramus. Um. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was cool, man. Like, oh, so here's a funny story. I was just, I, I was just talking about this the other day. Like, um, one of the, so the, there was this band, local goth band that used to come to our Rocky Horror shows, right? They were called Valmont, and they were the coolest guys. And we, you know, we we start riffing on them as you know, in the you know pre-show and that kind of stuff. We'd start riffing with them because they were there all the time, mm-hmm. and they're great dudes. And uh, uh, the lead singer's name was Mike and another mic Mm -hmm. and everybody's on the mics today um and uh uh he ended up uh a few years after that uh touring with danzig for a few years he that's michael graves he was the uh the lead singer of danzig in the end of the 90s there right wow yeah but you know that's the thing though is like that that's how these things work right like so we're talking about haven man so here's a cool thing about haven did you know that some of the very, very popular artists in our in our dark alternative music scene right now cut their little vampire teeth. They got their bat wings at Haven. Oh wow! Morris Black, he, he commented. We were at you know uh, all these online festivals that we're doing on Twitch, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and he commented. He said, "Oh, DJ Adam Bomb, Haven was my first club." Wow. Yep. And, and for, um, for those who are not aware, uh, Haven was a a goth club in Northampton, Massachusetts. <laughs> that ran from I guess the, the mid nineties is it still do they still run it? Uh then... you know, I'm I'm not gonna talk about Haven except for <laughs> the years between two thousand one and two thousand eight when I ran it, those seven years. Um, because those are the only seven years that count. Fair enough. I don't think I really went to it after that too much. So Yeah, neither did anybody else, babe. <laughs> Um, well, you know, that's one of those stories where like, you know, I can, I can dig into why divas failed. I told them what was coming and they refused to listen to me, you know? Okay. So I actually, you know, speaking of stories like that, let me jump over to the DJ career thing, Mm -hmm. back to the DJ career thing for anybody else who doesn't have attention deficit disorder following this conversation won't be easy. Um, my professional DJ career there, when I moved to Boston, I answered this ad and I went on the interview with my crazy rock star hair. And, um, and then I got called back for a second interview because as I found out later, the operations manager was like, I love this guy's energy and I want to give him a chance. And the sales manager was like, how am I going to sell that guy on weddings? <laughs> right. Um, and and so they Well, you know, here's the thing, man, is I'll get to that, Mm -hmm. but that's what I specialized in was weddings for freaks after I left the energy at the agency. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so I, I took the gig with the agency and I loved that agency so hard, so hard. I loved it. I loved that gig. I did a thousand gigs for that agency in five years. And that is an astonishing figure. Um, that is at least five times the amount of anybody else that worked for that agency. I, I took it on. I went full time. I said, screw these retail jobs. Like I had, I had left building 19 and taken a job at Franklin sports warehouse that I, my knee still hurts because I had an accident there that they ignored. Oh, and, um, and my knee still hurts to this day. Every time I, you know, I have to wear a knee brace to, to ride a bicycle and I feel it every time I walk upstairs. Thank you, Franklin sports. But that was, that was a major decision. I said, you know what? I ain't doing this anymore. Mm-hmm. And I went full-time DJing. I did a thousand gigs in my first five years. I made that company over a quarter of a million dollars. I didn't make nearly that much. I mean, this, I'm talking about one year. I made that mm-hmm. company a quarter of a million dollars in one year. I made about mm, a little under $40,000 for myself. And, um, and that's when I sat down and had a conversation. <laughs> um, the company uh, at that time. So uh, they, they, there were some bad decisions that were made. They tried to expand their business into too many you know, they, they got too big for their britches. They were trying mm-hmm. to, they were trying to, to expand into too many different facets. Um, and it collapsed in on itself. Um, they, they put more strain on the core management, um, and more work and more work and more work with not more pay. And so oh, eventually yeah. what happened was the amazing customer service rep that was holding us all together, you know, in a cadre of 50 DJs too, that's a lot of information to manage. And he quit and it was like, ah! and then the operations manager, they wouldn't give him more money. And, you know, he had a family, he had a baby on the way. He was like, mm-hmm. I can get paid twice what I'm getting paid here. I'd, I'd rather stay with the job that I love, but so he moved on and 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 then they made a really bad decision with the person that they hired to replace him and that was the end of it for me. I literally cried. I sat down, I had lunch with the owner and I cried about how bad a decision that was, but it didn't change anything, so I left. Okay. And I went on my own. Um since then I have worked I have subcontracted for a number of other agencies including um, one of the biggest in the world, which was Scratch DJs. Um, the the note about Scratch DJs is that it's harder to get into Scratch DJs than it is to get into Harvard. Um, wow. <clears throat> um, let's put it this way. It's a very long audition process. You have to jump through an awful lot of hoops to prove your professionalism and how serious you are. You have to be packaged. But I got a lot of great gigs from that. Um, you know, I, I got to, I got to, uh, you know, I got to get on a cruise ship and do, you know, do that for a while. I got to do an, an incredible amount of fashion gigs, man. Um, like my resume is literally stacked with fashion brands because of all these gigs that I did, like, mm. you know, a lot of famous people and, and stuff like Kat Von D, Steve Madden, like the shoemaker, not the football player. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, 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 what's his name that used to do the fashion show on TV? Uh, Tim Gunn. Starts with a C. 
I, you know, I did all these gigs. Like I played Macy's Herald Square, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, um, and that's the, that's the thing, man, is like, so in this DJ career of mine, I have thousands of gigs. Like, think about this Haven. I did that weekly for seven years. That's about 350 gigs. Yep. That is not even, I mean, that that's maybe a 10th of my career. Wow. Like a lot of people, that's the only thing they know me from, right? Cause they're locals or friends, you know, whatever they don't, they, you know, um, but that's so small on the scale of what I've done. And for some people it's bigger than anything they've ever done. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, so for me, it's like, you know, I look at something like that and I say, that was a good seven years. You know what I mean? Like I accomplished something there. Like I, I, I turned, uh, I turned a little goth night that had 20 people coming to it. The first time that I went into the biggest alternative, dark, dark alternative, independent mind you. Cause we, we didn't have support. Like Man Ray was a club that was a goth club. We were independent. Mm-hmm. Like we, we, we were our, and we, we created our own budget. Um, and, uh, <laughs> Um, and I turned, I turned a 20 person goth night into like in, in, uh, on six, six, six and on 10, 31, Oh six, um, we had 500 people in a 350 pe- person capacity room and a line down the stairs and around the building. Wow. I remember that night. Yeah. Yeah. Halloween. Oh six was one of, uh, that was a huge night. Um, six, six, six. I saw that coming from two years away and started promoting it <laughs> because it was going to be on a Tuesday night. Uh huh. I released my first single on that night. Actually, could it be the first, uh, uh, th- that was actually, that was actually one of those things that made me realize that I was going to have to produce my own record too, because the friend of mine that produced that, I didn't like how it came out. <laughs> okay. Like, it's okay. Don't get me wrong. It's okay. But like the version on my album now is what, you know, I wanted it to be. Of course, you can, you, produce, you can make exactly what you want. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, but that's the thing, man. Is like that's you know, it's like I you know I did Haven, and then I went on and I like I started a whole nother party after Haven. I started the Wicked Party, and I'm still doing the Wicked Party. I've done it. Uh, the the Wicked Party is cool because it's not attached to any particular location, and mm-hmm. and I can do it any way that I want. So now it's like electro swing and funky beats and that kind of thing. Back then it was kind of like, you know, the new stuff and like there wasn't that much, you know, electro swing wasn't a genre yet. It was like jazzy house music, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And uh and so it was basically like, you know, it was intended to be very different from what I was doing at Haven. Haven being dark alternative goth industrial, I wanted to do something that was the other side of underground music, right? You know, not not so much you know, EDM, but it was before EDM became, mm-hmm. you know, Skrillexed. Um, <laughs> and so it was, it was about, you know, new music and, uh, um, and it became the electro swing and funky beats thing that it is now, um, <clears throat> by running down rabbit holes, you know, following yeah, producers yeah. and being in the underground and, and being on the avant-garde. And that's a big thing, man, is like finding you know, finding new music all the time and being influenced by it, being inspired by it as a producer, you know, because I'm a DJ, I make a lot of stuff that's just for me that I want it because I want to spin it. Mm -hmm. Right. So like, um, 
you know, I've, I've remixed a lot of, uh, classics because I want a new version of it, like, uh, Broken Wings by Mr. Mister or Season of the Witch by Donovan or, um, and I've done some of these, you know, taking old swing songs like the entertainer, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and remixing that and re reimagining it. Um, and that was kind of how I, you know, th- that was all intentionally leading towards me, you know, uh, being able to produce my own record. So all of those things, like I, all these accomplishments along the way, it's like, yeah, okay. So like I ran this big club night for a while. I started another club night. You know, I do this thing. I'm well known in this scene. I'm well known in that scene. I'm well known in the drum and bass scene. Cause I can scratch like hell when my arm's not fucked up. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, and I'm, and I'm known in this professional setting, you know, doing weddings and fashion events and corporate stuff and all that kind of stuff. Like if you've got a party, I'm an assassin. Like that's what they called me at scratch. They called me the assassin because if they needed to land a client, they'd send me. Uh, okay. Cause I'm going to kill every time. Uh, kill. Yes. Yep. Um, you know, when, I, when I auditioned for scratch, it was in their, in their offices and I got a standing ovation. Hmm. From every everybody, I saw, I finished my audition, so it was like a forty five minute audition, and I was playing very quick mixes, and uh, um, and and yeah, when I was done, the whole the whole room they got up from their desks. I was amazed, and it was like, what? <laughs> like, I mean, I'm I'm sitting there, I'm auditioning for the company that has the best DJs in the world on their roster. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. it was pretty yeah. incredible. Yeah, and it sounds like, and so, you know, we're coming to the end of our time, I just kind of want to wrap up. But one thing I, I find interesting, um, you know, I was spending a lot of time with, especially recently before I recorded this, with, you know, very financially successful uh, business people, with the, the way you've kind of plowed your own path to success um, that you identified very early. And, yeah. uh, and obviously, you know, you not have a lot of money and, and probably wish no. you had a bit more. It sounds like you're. Dude, <laughs> I grew up, I grew up poor. Yep. But I grew up poor and I've never been anything else. Yep. But there's plenty of people who have no money and no mission. Yeah. And you have no money, but a mission, and you're successful in that mission. And so that creates a form of success, which is um, which is very, you know, very powerful. Thank you. And, and very inspiring. <laughs> I appreciate that. Well, and you know, the the thing is, man, is that like um I get to die happy. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I like I I made my record. That was a really important thing. I want to just get this point out there. Um, my, I, I was starting to talk about this earlier. My parents were artists. My dad got drafted. He stopped making art. Like he was a hobbyist, but he didn't follow his own dream. And I saw him suffer for that. And mm. I saw him fall into the, you know, what they call the midlife crisis. Like, you know, the new girlfriend, the new car, the, you know, the, the standard. Yep. Yep you know, about as, about as like basic as it gets. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, no, not for me, man. I said, if it, if it means not having a family until I'm like grandpa age, dad, fine. Like grandpa age, dads are like way more patient. <laughs> true, <laughs> you know? true. Like I wouldn't have been a good dad then. Maybe I have a chance now I'm more patient. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've accomplished the thing that I needed to accomplish. I had songs in my head. I had, I, I, I had something in my head that I had to get out and I was not going to be happy until it happened. I almost died in 2006 when my lung collapsed. I had a heart attack. 
Oh wow. Um, I almost died on the highway. Yeah. Mm. Um, I was driving. <laughs> I'll tell you that story another time. Wow. Okay. Um, but at that moment, I've been on borrowed time ever since. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was just before six six six. In fact, I got out of the hospital. Remember when we did six six six? I was in a wheelchair. That was why. Oh, right. I got out yeah. of the hospital that day, and that was me pushing them to let me out a day early because we had that party. Oh wow. Okay. And yeah, yeah. And it's just, it's amazing how many people that I encounter. I, I almost feel like my lack of a near death experience has held me back. The number of successful people I talk to who tell me about the time they almost died. And, and how that gave them focus. That was not the change. first time I almost died. The first time I almost died, I was 12. That's when oh. I lost my hearing. Okay. Um, that was like the third or fourth time I almost died. Man. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, <laughs> like, yeah. So clearly the now I tempt fate. Like, almost I'll, died. I'll jump out of a plane. I'll tempt fate. I'll jump. <laughs> yeah. But like, but yeah, no, seriously though, the, the 2006 one was a big deal. Like the 12 year old thing was a big deal because it changed the way that I viewed the world and it put me in a, kind of a disassociative position, really. Uh, it cut me off in mm-hmm. a way. Um, and it made me, uh, it forced me to become a discreet listener, right? Like I can, I can hear things that I, you know, like the, the, uh, uh how do we say this? I can only hear in one good ear, but what I can hear is amazing Okay, because I can hear, I can hear space. I can hear the characteristics of things that make them the characteristics like that make them characteristic, right? All right. Like I can I can name I can name that sample. I can tell you what synthesizer that is, what how they built the patch if I don't know what it what it was. Um because I can hear it. Uh I can't hear I if you're talking to me over here, you could talk to me for 10 minutes over here and I won't I won't know you're there. Um <clears throat> I've been told that I choose what I hear and there's some truth in that. <laughs> um, but yeah, adversity, adversity is one of those things. So in 2006, I almost died and I said, uh, I'm not going to die happy unless I get these songs out. And so everything since then was about how am I going to get these songs out? Mm. And so shortly after that is when I started, uh, you know, was, uh, like I said, in about 10 or 11 that I had the click um, and, and, you know, that was when I started releasing remixes on other people's records, like, you know, like official remixes, like, you know, and creating what, what I now call my discography. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's, here's the thing, man, like, you know, I could have just been happy with having done Haven and being successful with that and, and blah, 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 but that was not nearly enough. Yeah. No, that makes um, sense. like I look, I look down on that from such a great height now that I'm kind of like, you know, the, the people that were so intent on stealing what I had created um, have done nothing since except copy what I did and poorly. Uh-huh. Well, that's what I And I look, down on, I look down on that from such a height now, and I'm like, you all think that you're like, it's like they, they have this weird thing. It's like they think that they're the scene, but there's no scene left for them because they destroyed what they what, what there was. And like, they're not connected to the bigger thing in any way. Um, And I think that's a very important thing is being connected to a bigger thing. Like if you Mm -hmm. don't, if you don't have a re like, I don't have a family, so it's not like I'm living for my kids. No, I'm living for my community. I'm living for every person out there who is like me, who like 
dreamt of something bigger, like a Studio 54 and wanted to be there but couldn't. Like that, that dreamt of like one of the goals that I set for myself, I want to be the kind of person that hangs out with the Andy Warhols of the world. I've done gigs for Alex Gray, man. Like my mm. friends work at Cosm now, like our friends that we went to Haven with, um, are, are these artists that are the great artists in our world right now right now and it might be 30 40 50 years before anybody recognizes the level of talent that we that that is surrounding us here um but that's the lifetime achievement award and and that was the thing that i always wanted was to be like i want to be i want i wanted to do things like those fashion gigs you know what i mean i want that's Mm -hmm. that was something on my list i saw i saw that people were doing that and i said how do i do that i found the agency that that did that and i god damn it i got myself the job mm-hmm. you know it took yeah. a while it was it took a lot of work to get their attention it took a lot of work to just to get their attention it's like no you need me i'm the best yeah <laughs> yeah and, like, well, and, and that's like, what's great about your story is, is that you, you you focused on a target and and didn't necessarily go the traditional but as a plenty of people are broke and don't have money but don't have the stories, don't have the success, don't have the, the, the discography. Um, and if someone wanted to, wanted to hear those songs, where would they find them? Oh, uh, if you'd like to find my songs, uh, uh, Bandcamp, mm-hmm. uh, you will find me uh, it, uh, uh, by looking up Adam Bomb, A-D-D-A-M-B-O-M-B-B uh, on Google. Um, I have a Google box, man. Ooh, fancy. I have, I have a Google box. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm like, you know. I, I'm as cool as um, I'm as cool as, as Bezos. I got yeah. a Google box. Google box. You Google you my name, it comes up on the thing there. Yeah. Yep. Um, and that's from me self-producing and self-releasing. I do not have a label. Nobody manages my rights. I am my own label. Um, and uh, I own all my own rights to all the things I've ever created. And we haven't even talked about the other stuff that I do, man. Like we've only talked about the music and DJ stuff. We didn't talk about the artwork and the photography and the watches that I'm making now, or mm-hmm. the, you know, all the, uh, you know, the visual arts I make. Uh, you know, MTV TV. I produce everything on MTV TV. All the visuals, uh, all the graphic design, all the uh, I do all the um, uh, 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 the video production. I make my music videos. I, I make everything. I, I like literally make everything, Michael. And and I have uh, I have this wonderful thing in that I can like I can go to like a store and there's all these fancy things in the store and I go, I can make that, I can make that, I can make that, I can make that, I can make that. Why would I buy anything if I can fucking make it? Yep. That's why I started making watches, because I was like, I like watches and I, I don't want to buy watches and I made this watch. Wow, that's that's impressive. <laughs> no, what's really impressive is the watches I'm about to make. Even because better. now what I'm doing, because I have a jewelry background, thanks, Mom. Uh-huh. Um, now I'm doing stuff. Uh, I, I don't know if you've ever heard of this stuff. It's called Fordite. It's, uh, it's paint from the GM factories. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, that was baked and hardened on the, uh, on the racks and then broken off. And now yep. people are pulling it out and we're turning it into lapidary so these are these are watch discs that i've been making that are going to be watch faces um and it all starts off looking like this that's pretty cool 
Um, and, and for those of you yeah. listening to the audio version of this podcast, um, you, you Google Fordite, it you'll be you'll be glad. It's you cool. Did. It is. It's neat. It's neat stuff. It, it does look like um, a stone. But yeah, but, and if you and if you want and if you want to find me, Google A D D A M B O M B B Adam Bomb. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you are into alternative music, um, MTV TV, E-M-P-T-Y-V-E-E TV. Um, so, you know, uh, everything on that channel is artist submitted. The rights holders themselves have submitted the video, so we don't have any copyright issues or any of that. Yeah. And... Um, uh, and we are always accepting submissions from dark alternative artists, any artists working within the genre. If it's dark, we like it. If it's spooky, we like it. If it's weird, we like it. Um, and every artist that submits to us gets a shot on the channel. We're not judging it. We're putting it in the rotation and we're giving it, uh, uh, we're giving it context in the rotation. Nice. So if you like something... Um, you will like the next thing and you will probably like the thing after that. And if you just go with us for a while, you're going to like it all. Cause there's an incredible amount of talent out there. And I will say this, like, you know, there, there is, there is a point where you have to be honest with yourself about what it is you're creating. Um, you can't, you can't live in the dream entirely. You have to use the dream as your metric um, but you have to do the work mm-hmm. and the work is painful. Mm-hmm. Um, the work is grueling. Uh, the results are spectacular. The result is that you get to do stuff like this, where you can sit on people's podcasts or, or, uh, <laughs> on their, on their Twitch interviews or whatever like that. And talk about the cool stuff that you made because you put the work into making it. And that if this, if I can close off on this, that Michael and what we're doing today is one of the goals that I set for myself when I was too young to know better. I wanted to be the kind of guy that people like you would have on their podcast and talk about the cool shit that I do. So thank you so much for making this part of my dream a reality. Well, I'm so glad I could do that. It's been great to have you on the show. Great to catch up with you and hear your story. And, uh, I love being able to share this this different view because you know we always hear about success in terms of making big money, but sometimes success yeah. doesn't involve big money, but it uh, involves big dreams and living them and and living that big life. So, yeah, and, and if any of those you know super successful seven eight figure you know corporation kind of cats are looking for an assassin. I'm your DJ. <laughs> yeah. and, and by assassin, you mean like you you slay the audience, not you actually kill people. Just just so we're clear. No, I'll kill them. <laughs> I told you I've taken some really odd jobs. No, I'm just yeah. yeah no, no. Uh, thou shalt always kill. It's a, uh, it's uh, it's the poetic metaphor. Thou shalt always kill. Thou shalt, you know, if you're, uh, uh, um, if you're going on stage, you got to kill. Yep, love it, love it. Well, yeah. thank you so much for being on the show. This has been great, and uh, and. Thank you. And so people can find you by searching for Adam Bomb. That's with two D's and two B's at the end. A D D A M B O M B B. And uh, Empty V. Empty V TV is that channel he was talking about. So thank you very much, DJ Adam Bomb, for being on the show. This has been great. Thank you so much. A guy who knows a guy.
<laughs> this has been the Guy Who Knows a Guy podcast with your host, Michael Whitehouse. This great theme song is by Patrick Howard. If you found this valuable, please subscribe, leave a review, and share this podcast. Find the full archive of all episodes at guywhoknowsaguy.com slash podcast. Check out my other podcast, Morning Motivation. It's a daily podcast of two to five minutes with a powerful hit of motivation and inspiration to get your day started. Morningmotivation.fun or search for Morning Motivation wherever you listen to podcasts. Join the community online in the Morning Motivation Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Morning Motivation Podcast. JV Connect is coming up quick, December 12th and 13th. If you are looking for a networking event where you can meet people who aren't looking to just pitch you or take, but actually want to collaborate, build strategic partnerships, joint ventures, maybe even find some mentors, some coaches, people to support you, accountability partners, who knows? If you're looking for good people in an environment that's not stressful, but is set up to give you a lot of great connections in an efficient amount of time, check out JV Connect, jv-connect.com. That's JV dash connect.com December 12th and 13th 2023 we'll see you there